Welcome to Working Towards Our Purpose, a podcast that offers a different perspective on what a job can be. For everyone out there that's heard that voice in the back of their head asking for something more, it's time to listen to it. I'm your host, Gino, and join me as I interview people who have decided to work in their own purpose. Together, we will learn, become inspired, and hopefully find our own path towards working in our purpose. So joining me today on the podcast is Trevor Hufford, who is co-founder of Box, which is a startup that creates prefabbed work-from-home pods that are installed in your backyard. It's a really cool idea, and I'm looking forward to getting to talk more about the business. But Trevor, thanks so much for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm very excited about being here. A little nervous, but uh, but very excited. <laughs> Well, glad to have you. Glad to have you. So yeah, if you want to just start off by telling me a little bit more about yourself and a little bit about Box and what you do, I think that'd be a good start. Well, so Box is a very early stage startup company that we thought about kind of, you know, mid pandemic. So it's definitely driven by that. So many people working from home, we thought there was a need to have kind of a separate space that you could go to to get away from the house but not you know spend an hour hour and a half on a train getting there or an hour an hour and a half in traffic getting there my day job is selling what is called structural insulated panels we call them sips and they're a very energy efficient way to build a new home or a new building they're very large Panels. They have two pieces of OSB glued to a foam core. So they look like a big ice cream sandwich. And they basically replace all the exterior studs in a house and, and then the rafters in the roof. And you replace them with these big sheets that are um, then cut with a very precise CNC machine to be the puzzle parts that you need to put your house together. Mm. So during during the pandemic, People were calling me and saying, hey, could I build a, you know, a studio in the backyard with your panels? I got enough calls that I thought maybe this was a business. Hmm. And uh, that was the formation of the, uh, the decision to go forward on this. Taking a while to come up with a, a marketing plan. How do we reach people that, that want one of these studios? But it seems like a very large market. There are a couple of national uh, competitors, but this still seems like a very highly fragmented business. Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely something I never was aware of before that was an option. I know that there's some like interior kind of like similar solutions for like more so for offices. And I've seen those before, but I think it's definitely a cool idea to, you know, be outside of your living space and to kind of have a mini office in your backyard. Yeah. We, we just sold one of our first, uh, or it was actually our second pod. I actually like to use the word studio versus pod, but we, we use the word pod in our website a lot because it's a keyword that mm-hmm. we're searching for. But we like to call them studios. You know, one of the audiences we thought maybe would use them are podcasters. So yeah, sell one to you. Yeah, maybe in the future. <laughs> I was I was curious about that because when you say studio, I, I think of, you know, a music having a music studio in your backyard. I think that'd be pretty cool to have yeah. all the audio equipment and everything. Yeah, and 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 the, the the studios really are we're trying to sell them as traditional office spaces 
but we're also marketing them as uh, yoga studios or workout areas, she sheds or he sheds or whatever you want to call them, psychiatric offices where you might have a home practice and people would come in, we get you out of the house to provide the privacy that might be needed. When we have sold them, you know, people have been, you know, they're working out of their basement often and they'll say, oh yeah, you know, I'm working down in the basement. It really stinks. I can't see outside at all. And, uh, you know, and my kids interrupt. And, and just as they say that, usually their kids run in the back and make some loud noise. So if you're, if you were a professional corporation, you might actually want to buy these for your employees as a fringe benefit so that they're in more professional places, even when they're at home. The cost of our units is low enough that it's cheaper to have one of our units than to have an office space in some, you know, in big cities. So um, you actually can save money. You may gain a little more uh, loyalty if your your employees have these. And we can also um, design them to be branded. So, you know, if you had a blue color, we could use that color on the walls or, you know, put a sign up or whatever made the branding work. Mm, very interesting. So, yeah, I guess if we um, maybe can go a little bit more into like your history and may- maybe your schooling and like what brought you, what is your your previous work history and your background? So my, my, my background is definitely not where I am. So I, I graduated in 1987 from Brown University with a degree in computer science. I was early enough that like when I grew up, I didn't know anybody in that industry. So I, you know, I didn't know that there was a job called programmer. But I really loved it when I got to Brown and um, I majored in it and I got out and I was first hired into an investment banking position to help other investment bankers use computers. And I thought it'd be very intense programming and stuff like that. It turned out that I was basically plugging in computers or installing computers and things like that. But I was put through the training program as an investment banker and I quickly changed my career and went into investment banking. So I did that for a couple of three, two or three years as an analyst, and then uh, went back to business school and graduated from uh, Duke's business school, Fuqua, and went back into investment banking for another seven or eight years. And, you know, it was a great learning experience and stuff like that. But I really wanted to do things versus help other people do things. Mm. And so I always wanted to be the guy on the other side of the table. So um, in roughly 2000, I uh, left uh, investment banking and did a startup in the voice over IP industry. You know, great experience on startups. At one point, had made lots and lots of money, but the dot-com thing blew up right then and there went the money. So at least I learned how to deal with cycles pretty well. After that first startup, or actually there were two startups there, I decided I wanted to kind of look at what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I wanted to do something that I really enjoyed getting up every morning and doing. I'd spent a lot of time in my childhood with my parents, kind of renovating houses and stuff like that. I've always been kind of a tinkerer and thought I might want to get into building. I found a company that was struggling on the business side, but but a very good builder. And they hired me as their COO. And I embarked on a career of building very, very, very high-end homes 
in Greenwich, Connecticut, and um, Fishers Island, New York. And we we ran a very successful design build with 10 architects on staff company until 2009, when the 2008-2009 housing crisis happened, and basically all construction just stopped overnight. So at that point, I had to recreate myself again, and I joined a startup company that was building kind of very green, very innovative, modular homes that you could build almost 100% in the factory, fold them up, put them on the truck, ship them across the country, and then unfold them. And, you know, kind of five days later, the owners were ready to paint and move in. And that was just kind of revolutionary on, you know, versus the very high-end building where everything, you know, we massaged every piece of wood and stained it. Everything was perfect. This was really thinking about how do you manufacture a home, standardize it, and then make it deliverable. It was a great, great learning experience. In that process, I learned about structural insulated panels. I then bought a structural insulated panel company down in Texas and tried to make that work. That lasted for about three or four years. We weren't able to grow it fast enough, so we ended up selling the assets. And I've been selling for other people uh, and designing uh, homes for people using these structural insulated panels. And that led me to thinking about prefab building a lot, what I call precision building, where we really design every bit of it in 3D, typically. So every screw, every nail, every wire is typically pre-drawn into whatever structure we're building. And that's what we did at, at the startup modular company. And so every decision was made virtually before we then executed in the real world. So one of the keys to uh, Box is that soon we think we'll be able to, every part that we're putting into the module will be a precision part versus a craftsman-built piece of wood that has been whittled into the right shape and connected very carefully. It'll be more like assembling a car or other manufactured goods. And we actually may be able to use robotics to build these things. So we've already simulated taking these large panels and you know you got a pile of these panels and you pick them up and put them together and it builds the, the box that is our basic design for, for our company. So I would expect in two years or three years that we'll be fully automated in our manufacturing facility. So um, it sounds like you've had a, a interesting kind of turn of of career events, and I'm curious to know because because I'm similar in my corporate background is kind of very different from what I do now. Was was there things that you like appreciate from your undergrad degree and things like transferable skills that you've used to be able to kind of leverage new positions? So everything that I've done, I've kind of looked at it from a computer or you know automation kind of a point of view. Is even when I was doing finance, you know, how do we make a you know an Excel or Lotus spreadsheet at that time? You know, how do we take that and make it really robust, fully automated? You know, giving back uh, data in a better way. Back then, you know, nobody had iPhones or anything like that, so just getting stock data and then downloading it from some online source 
was a creative thing. Nowadays, everybody can get any stock price, anytime, all the time. Uh, <laughs> so it's always been that. Once the computer, you know, 3D modeling came out, I've basically been, you know, self-taught how to use 3D modeling software. I've now written programs that are uh, part of the, the 3D model that you can, you know, take a stick frame drawing and then fully populate it with the structural components. Mm. Interesting. I did a little bit of 3D modeling uh, when I went to engineering school. Um, I thought it was cool, but I, I never, once I got into the working force, similar to you, I was basically making presentations and not really doing any engineering. You said something about, you know, being able to work with your hands and and that kind of inspiring you to maybe go in, into a specific direction. I find that similar with myself. In, in high school, we had a, like a very robust shop program. So I really got like a chance to learn how to weld and to use mills and lathes and stuff like that. And we had a construction class. So I really enjoyed that stuff in high school. But then once I graduated, I never really got a chance to do that sort of thing anymore. So can you talk to me about a little bit how you are able to use your hands more and, and how that inspires you to do the work that you do? Yeah. Well, the, the great thing about startups is you get to... Um, kind of get to do everything once or twice. So recently we've been putting together these models or the, you know, designing these uh, structures for the box. And, you know, on the weekends, I will go down in my workshop and put something together as a mock-up. I'm not the world's greatest carpenter, but I can figure it out and make sure that it, it actually works, even though we've drawn it in 3D. So I get to do some of that because... I'm the corporate structure at this point. <laughs> you know, there's nobody else yet to do that. And then even when you get a little bigger, you know, you're you're often going out and working with guys that are really doing the work. And that's that's kind of been awe-inspiring for me too is to to get to work with guys that maybe haven't had the education benefits that I've had but are truly gifted tradesmen and really know their stuff and to go out and design something and then have their input has been a huge value uh, driver for me. So just that experience of working with people that really know a trade has been a very exciting part of the, the thing. I also grew up with a lot of uh, wood workshops in houses, and my grandparents had a big, big uh, workshop with lathes and drills and, and bandsaws and things like that. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. So can you talk to me a little bit more about how you got into kind of startups? Because you did mention that you had some previous startups before Box, yeah. right? I've, I've, unfortunately, I've had too many. <laughs> Again, they're just, you know, you get to create. I, I constantly want to be kind of creating something. I'm not very good at keeping the books every day, but I'm really good at setting up how to do the books, you know, figuring out processes or at least eliciting experts to help me figure that out. So startups are just a great place to, to just be creative every day. You're learning, you know, if you're designing a new way to build a house, it's just every day you're learning something new. And um, that's what's really kept me interested in always trying something new. It makes it very difficult to go to back to a corporate kind of place where you might be doing one thing for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. For sure. And and I guess off of that note, maybe 
you know, the, the work-life balance part of it. What does success look like to you as far as like a startup being successful? Is it, is it just, you know, sales and, and that sort of thing, or is it also, you know, balancing doing creative things and, and the work-life balance part of it? Well, I, I've never been really good at work-life balance. I, I, I tend to work pretty hard every day. The greatest thing I've had is just kind of, again, it get back to the word of creating. I mean, I love creating jobs for people. A success for me would be to have a company that is, is able to have created a product and then be reasonably stable. I'm not looking to make, you know, billions of dollars or, you know, that would be fine, but that's not what really drives me every day. It's creating an organization that is self-sustaining and can create value for, for lots of the uh, stakeholders in the company that are not just me or my partner. So th- that, that would be success. It's, it's hard to do. I've done probably four or five startups in, you know, some that were very, very well funded and some that were not. And some that were worth a billion dollars at one point and, you know, two years later were worth nothing. I've probably done five and I don't know that any of them are still functioning. That doesn't mean that they didn't run for five or 10 years and, and have great success, but they tend to be kind of cutting edge and either get acquired or bought out or the technology went away or whatever. You know, the first one I did was a telephone startup that did voice over IP internationally. And we were the first people to get it going. And it was like, it went to a billion eight in value in 2000. And, uh, you know, we thought we were at a rocket ship. And two years later, it was out of business and everybody in the world could do voice over IP. The technology we're using today is what we designed. Okay. We had a company called Phone Free over your computer. You could call anywhere for free. The problem was that it didn't have a really good revenue model because it was free. <laughs> right. Interesting. That I mean, that's got to be a like a wild cycle of of the highs to the lows. How how do you uh, how do you like deal with that? <laughs> it's, it's been difficult. I mean, uh, you know, my career. I'm, I'm not sure though. I've enjoyed every minute of it, or many of the minutes of it. It has not been a steady course. It has not been incredibly stable. So it's it's been a challenge in a lot of ways. But at least emotionally, it's been it's been very rewarding for me. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good point. And, you know, in contrast to at least my previous corporate job of, of the very stableness of it, and you get the paycheck, no matter what even gets accomplished really, <laughs> but the trade-off being maybe you get to do cool things and you get to work on things and, and experience the highs and the lows and, and kind of learn from them. Has there ever been um, a job where you did have like that stability? Well, well, for the first 10 years of my life, I was an investment banker. So, you know, lots and lots of stability, lots and lots and lots of hours. So very intense. So I'm not sure I'd call it stable, but it was very financially rewarding and, and absolutely a paycheck every day or every week or whatever it was. So, so there were 10 years or so of that. It was you know, 100, 120 hours a week on a regular basis. So it wasn't loads of fun or you were always tired. You were always <laughs> pulling all-nighters and you were rarely going out to happy hours with your buddies. So, but it was great 
two months into my thing, I was making presentations in front of boards of directors of big companies. So, hmm. and and all part of the process, I would imagine. <laughs> So what were the specific challenges now talking about box startup? What were some of the specific challenges you had with creating that company, and especially, you know, in the midst of a pandemic? So I'm pretty good at the, the um, operational side of these kind of businesses, the design side, you know, how to make things go together and, and the physical part of it. The marketing has been very difficult. How do you find somebody that wants one of these things in their backyard. It's, it's a needle in a haystack. Now, there are lots of needles, so we think that there's an opportunity there. And right now, we're, you know, we really started kicking this off kind of late last year. So we've been working on it for three or four months on the marketing side. And we're starting to see some more traction on our website and stuff like that. But that's been the hard part. And that's been the hard, you know, I think that's the hard part for any business is, how do you sell the great solution that you've come up with? You know, there are way more products that are great than there are that have been able to be sold. Having the idea is almost, you know, the least important part. It's how do you find people that might want what you're selling? I, I think there's a chance you might interview my partner. She's got the unenviable uh, job of trying to figure out a marketing plan to get out there and reach people. And so far, she's done a great job, you know, a month after we, you know, we'd been, we'd spent a couple of, you know, a year or so trying to, you know, wing it. And then we got, she joined us as a co-founder and it's going very well so far. It's still very early. Hmm. So when, when you first started, were you the only founder and then you kind of brought her on as, as help or? No, I, I had an initial partner that who thought he had the time to come up with an idea of how to market it. And in the end, he was just too busy, you know, with a very dynamic career of his own to spend the time to do it every day and stuff like that. So after a while, he bowed out. He's still a partner, you know, still a uh, shareholder of the company, but he's not helping us run the business on a day-to-day basis. And that's, you know, that's another, you know, difficult thing when you're a startup is finding co-workers and partners that you may or may not have known at all but you need a skill and you you need to find somebody that you can rely on and took me six or eight months to find my current partner and she's spectacular and is a 50 percent owner of the business with me Hmm. yeah i think that brings up a a good point and uh something that maybe i always struggle with as far as I've run my business, I've mostly just been by myself. I've hired a couple like contracting work and stuff like that, but mostly been by myself. H- have you found it difficult to like ask things from other people and to kind of let go of some of the control and to trust them in doing what you, you know they say they're going to do and that sort of thing? How how's that been for you? Well, with with my partner specifically, it's a skill that I don't have. Okay, mm. I, I am not a marketing guy at all. So without, I mean, I knew that this business would go nowhere if we didn't have somebody that figure out how do we go to market. So, so knowing your own limits, you know, is, is an important part of the, the startup process. And then finding people to help you achieve those goals is, is critical. One of the things I always say as a startup leader is, 
you know, I get to do whatever it is. I get to do it first, but I try to figure out the process, document it, and then as quickly as possible, hand it off to the next person to do every day. And then I go on to the next problem and try to solve that, come up with a solution, and then keep handing it off. So I don't, I, I have not historically had a problem hiring people and giving it off to other people. And they've always been able to take my processes and improve them. So I think that there's a lot of value in other people. And I think a lot of startups, maybe their their biggest problem is that they're not willing to give up either some ownership or or some you know control of the day-to-day business. So they're always stifled and limited in their growth. That doesn't mean they can't have a nice little business by themselves and 10 other people or you by yourself. But the opportunity to, to meet on a product that you're passionate about with other people and get their input and their insights into process or design ideas. I mean, that's, you know, those are moments to cherish if you get that opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I really like the way you described that. And I think it's a skill too, to be able to identify, you know, like you said, like marketing, that's not me. You know, I, I can't, I don't know how to, how to do that. But that, that in and of itself, I think is a skill. Cause especially like with me and I, maybe I have a tendency to teach myself things. And I always think like, oh, marketing, I could just learn that from the internet. Right. And, and you can say the same thing, but it's definitely a, an art for, for sure. And I think recognizing that you're not good at it is, is a big step. And then I also like the idea of like being able to collaborate with people and both be passionate about something and have that be more impactful or drive the, the vision further than you could have ever dreamed. So I really like that idea and, and the way that you described that as well. So for somebody who maybe is working one of those corporate jobs and, um, you know, has ideas of, of, starting off their own business or, or doing something more creative. Would you have any advice for somebody who like would want to take a risk? Cause we talked about like, you know, the risk versus the stability and, and that sort of thing. You know, when I left investment banking, I was very optimistic that the next thing would be as successful as being an investment banker. It's a very big risk going out on your own. Okay. I mean, I, I've muddled through, but there's no way that I've, if, if financial stability is what you want and what drives you, startups are very volatile and good ideas may not always just drive success. So I'm, I'm hesitant to tell people to jump out and do it. If your life is more about what you're doing versus what you're getting paid to do, then being a startup is, is great fun and, and can be financially rewarding if if it takes off, you know, there are a lot of startups these days that are, um, you know, technology based where the scalability is, you know, zero to a billion very quickly. But many of the startups that most of us fall into are going to be, you know, if we did a hundred of these boxes a year, that would be a huge home run for us. So do you have any, um, mentors that you've ever worked with or people that you've looked up to or, you know, certain people like that in your life? You know, it's been probably 20 years that I've been kind of working either as a, you know, a leader of a startup or by myself. So I haven't had a lot of mentors, which is probably something that's, that's been um, lacking. Uh, One of the startups, we had a CEO that was great vision, 
great motivational skills and a, and a real delight to be around. That only lasted two years, so he wasn't a mentor for long, but a very motivating guy. Otherwise, you know, the, the real joy that I've had to work with are trades guys or, or plant operators. I owned a small company down in uh, Texas where we had a huge CNC, you know, hundred, you know, million dollar piece of equipment that was a hundred feet long and, you know, ran on railroad tracks. And, you know, I hired a guy that had no skills, no education, no background. And within a month, he had set up the machine and was running it and maintaining it beautifully and, you know, cared for it as if it was his baby. So people that do everything they can to do their job well uh, and are really dedicated, no matter what that job is, you know, if they're out sweeping the floor, but they do a really good job at it, you know, that's that's what I really love to see and, and work with those kind of guys. And, you know, cleaning up a facility is just as important as running it well or making the product. Every job is critical. So to have to be able to find people that do whatever that job is and really take it to heart, you know, is a sheer, you know, it's lots of joy to see that happening every day, especially in a company that you may have helped create. And to create those kind of opportunities for people is is really fun. Mm. Yeah, that's something I think, I guess, a lot about these days. I think for a while I thought I just wanted to be out on my own and do everything myself. So I didn't have to like, you know, deal with other people and, and personalities and that sort of thing. But I'm quickly realizing that that's not really <laughs> what's going to bring you the most joy, at least for me. So how do you, how do you find those sorts of people, like talking about, you know, getting employees and having people work for you. How do you find those people that have that certain, you know, drive or, or sparkle in their eye or, wh or whatever it is? Well, it's, it's, it's been six years since I've employed anyone. So it's been a while. I think giving people a chance has been my best methodology for, for hiring people. I, I rarely like to hire somebody that's kind of done it and they're bringing their, you know, their, practiced skills to my uh, employee. I'd much rather give it to somebody that's hungry and, and maybe hasn't figured it out yet, but has the drive and the, and the, you know, find people that want to learn how to do it. And again, that doesn't mean that it's always the, the most, the smartest guy in the world. You know, it's, it's more of the people that just really have it somewhere in their heart that they want to kind of act as an owner, even if they're not. Or, or really grab their job and they were sweeping the floor, but now they figured out a way to do it twice as fast with a, a new machine or what, whatever, whatever the job is and have the willingness to work hard and, and really dedicate themselves. Giving people a chance, helping them learn their job, providing the tools and the um, training to do it. Most people fail because their managers are failing them, not because they are inherently bad at what they're doing. It's that you got to design the company to, for success, to help people achieve whatever it is you want to do versus, you know, some vision of this is how it should run, but those people aren't helping me. You know, you've designed the wrong organization usually, not that you found the wrong people. Most people are, are at least reasonably positively and tended to come to work every day and and do something good 
And and then the other thing is when you find the wrong people, quickly let them know that they're not going to work out and wish them the best luck in their next endeavor. Some people are not right for the jobs you hire them into. I mean, most, to be honest, most people aren't. But that's not typically because they're bad people or something like that. It's just not the job that they're created to do. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And and even just from like the other perspective, you know, if, I think that's being a good you know, a boss, like I, most bosses that I've ever had in corporate did not have that sort of idea about what the employee should be. It was more so like do this thing that I tell you to do. And then when you're done with it, come tell me. And I think giving people like the freedom, like you were saying to learn and to, uh, you know, make mistakes and then overcome those mistakes is a hugely important part of getting people to want to work for you. Yeah. And and, I mean, there are lots of employees I've had that probably wouldn't say that I was so, so forgiving and so encouraging. So it doesn't mean that you just clap your hands every day for your employees, but you need to motivate them. And sometimes that's not as warm and fuzzy as everybody wants. But if they're half decent at what they are trying to do, there's always a way to make them make it successful. Maybe the compensation isn't the right number and it needs to go up or down and then it works fine. There are lots of ways to make it work. In the end, you do need to get stuff done. And and sometimes it there are rules. <laughs> but I, I do think that, you know, there are lots of big companies today that, you know, they're failing because the management is leading them in the wrong direction. And, and I, you know, I don't have a big successful company, so maybe I'm leading in the wrong direction. But I'm hoping to find the right one. And that's part of every day, getting up and designing the right path or trying to design the right path and then getting people to help figure it out. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's really a good, a good way to think about it. So yeah, as we're kind of coming to the end of our time here, uh, I did want to ask you what's next for box and, and what do you see in the future and, and what do you hope to, to accomplish? So we are very early. We've sold our second unit. We'll be installing that in six or eight, to 10 weeks. It's, really been encouraging to to get all the details you know ironed out so that we can actually move forward and do that so what we're really focused on is is the marketing side and how do we reach people and let them know about what we're doing and then helping them sign up and move forward we really think that the work from home market is is an exciting addition to how people could work you know, we're we're not necessarily saying you need to never go into an office. So the hybrid work is there. It's amazing in the Northeast around the metropolitan area of New York. You know, people are spending two to three to four hours a day on trains and cars and stuff like that. It is totally non-productive. And, you know, when you're working eight or, you know, even if you're working 10 hours a day, you know, two to four hours is a big part of your day. And it's, a you know, I don't know how, even if the water cooler is an incredibly dynamic place for you to motivate your employees or learn new ideas or whatever, to come up with four, two to four hours of productivity around the water cooler is a lot. One of the things that's been kind of behind most of my building in the last 10 years has been energy efficiency. Most people drive their cars, most of the time is just commuting. And if you can eliminate that, the tons of carbon dioxide that you're not 
putting out there is really very large. So commuting is a very large part of our impact on uh, the environment. So just preventing that and then bringing dollars home. You know, we now all, you know, if you're working from home, you're buying lunch at home every day instead of, you know, going into the big city and buying lunch there, which is a bummer for them. But it's great to have a community that you kind of see people more often just because you're, you know, at a restaurant locally or you're at the grocery store or whatever it is. And, you know, towns could use a little more infusion of people and, and business. So I think it's a, I think it's a very dynamic and, and I hope it isn't viewed as a kind of a, I go off on my own and I never see anybody kind of a thing. You know, if we had more people doing it, we all could have lunch with those people locally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I like, I never really thought about it in that way before, but it's more so bringing the, you know, where you're living community up versus like traveling to somewhere and then finding community. It's finding community at home. So I, I like that piece of it. Yeah. Right. Well, so yeah. Where can uh, people find more information about Box? We have a great website at boxx.work, W-O-R-K, which is a little of an unusual uh, URL but hopefully it'll be uh, something that you can find. So we'd love to see you there and call us anytime. Our, our, our direct cell phones are on there. We'll pick up the phone anytime you call. Awesome, man. I will leave a link to, uh, to your site in the show notes so people can find it who are listening to this. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time and, and the conversation. Uh, and I wish you guys the best in the future. Well, thanks for asking the questions and thanks for giving me your time. Thanks for tuning in and listening to Working Towards Our Purpose. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe for more episodes.